Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at dealing with delay. How do you deal with delay? Do you like to wait? I know an expression that's easy off my tongue is, I hate wait. I'm not always the most patient person. I'm trying to learn to be patient. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit, patience, long-suffering, along with that self-control, right? But how do we, as God's people, deal with delay? You know, the French resistance fighters back in World War II, when they were invaded by Nazi Germany, they didn't think that they would be there for long. They thought the Allies would come soon, that they would be delivered from all of this. And so this ragtag group continued to pull together and to try to fight and to resist and to be courageous in spite of some hardship and some capture, some suffering. They fought long, they fought hard, this French resistance in hopes that soon the Allies would come. But as you see here in some of these pictures in Paris, and there's Adolf Hitler and others, over time, their hope that there would be a rescue began to wane. Now, not everybody, but some of them were saying, is help ever going to arrive as months turned into years and years turned into another year and another year? In fact, some of the comrades decided, you know, rather than try to keep them at bay, we'd probably be better off if we join. And some of them did. Some of them defected in that way. And they said, oh, we'll get more rations. We'll get places of privilege. If we just become part of what's going on. Here's the Nazi flag over the Paris Opera House. But the idea of them being weary, of constantly resisting, constantly fighting, and becoming discouraged. They thought, well, maybe the Allies are too busy fighting these Nazis on all the other fronts. And then D-Day came, June 6, 1944. It was supposed to be the day before, but bad weather prohibited and prevented them. But on June 6, 1944, at 6.30 in the morning, troops started hitting the beaches of Normandy. More than 160,000 Allied troops, the largest amphibious invasion in history. More than 13,000 aircraft, 5,000 ships supported them and went ahead of them. And the total Allied casualties have been estimated at 10,000 that were lost on that day. That was a, a rough day. They had all the, the parts of the beach outlined in these, I think it's five divisions with these secret words and terms for each one. And while the casualties were high, this was seen as a major turning point in the war. Finally, their long-awaited deliverance came, and the freedom fighters who endured to the end were heroes. And the traitors who helped the Nazis were, well, publicly humiliated, tortured, some of them, and killed. My question for us this morning is, could it be that the final events in the church, could it be that they could closely resemble those in France during the war? If you brought your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to read a section out of Matthew chapter 24. Verses 45 to 51. Matthew chapter 24, beginning to read here in verse 45. Who then is faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. 
If the evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servant and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice here, In verse 48, the evil servant says where? In his heart. He makes no outward announcement initially. We can see by his fruits, if you will, where his heart lies, but initially it begins in the heart. It's an inward erosion of faith. Something has gone wrong. There's a delay. I bet this guy is not even coming. And in verse 49, he begins to beat his fellow servants. This could be verbally, this could be emotionally, this also could be physically, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, to kind of just decide to do his own thing, because the master has delayed. You know, the church has been saying, Jesus is coming my whole life. You might be thinking that. What is the point? Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. I've heard it before. Soon is not soon enough for me. And if we're not careful in our heart, we can start to say, you know, this delay, what's the point? Our fervor can be lost. Why bother with this health message anyway? Worldly food tastes so good. Why bother with this three angels message? I mean, it just, it sounds weird. Why bother with this aspect or that aspect? You know, I don't even see what's the point anymore. There's obviously been some delay. I'm not even sure if our message, we begin to doubt, doubt, doubt the message and the messengers, right? I don't know if we can truly trust prophecy, and so we doubt. 2 Peter 3, verse 3 says, Knowing this first, that scoffers might come, will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from the beginning of creation. You see, there's a connection between doubting his coming and walking after our own lusts, our own pleasures, our own ways. But we can also find the opposite of that is true. Faith in Jesus' soon return will have a sanctifying effect. In fact, if you look at our founders, when they thought Jesus was coming in 1844, they didn't say, who cares? Let's do whatever we want. No, they put every effort into sanctification. In just a few verses, still in 2 Peter chapter 3, a few verses later, it says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. 1 John 3, chapter 3, verse 3 And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And what's the hope? Jesus soon coming. But the reality is we are in grave danger as Seventh-day Adventists if we ever stop believing, ever stop proclaiming the soon return of Jesus, we're in danger of going our own way, doing our own thing. None of this really matters. There's no judgment. There's no second coming. But I believe in this delay, in this tearing time, Jesus is using this time to sift out his true servants from his false servants, to separate the wheat from the chaff. We are told again and again, we should expect delay. But if you're like me, you say, but I hate wait. I want it now. 
And if I can't get it now, I'm not interested. I'll go somewhere else. I'll do something else. Matthew 25, 5, we've looked at this before here. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. We should expect delay, but this is startling. Living on the knife edge of eternity, the true church is is pictured as spiritually drowsy and asleep to the great opportunities to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. (gasps) Peru Project? What? (gasps) But this is the message of the parable. It's not that five are sleeping. It's that there is a spiritual drowsiness, a spiritual stupor that has lulled us all to sleep. The secular, the materialistic, godless culture is affecting us as well as the world. And all will be surprised, according to this parable, when Jesus comes. No one's going to say, I knew it. I knew it was going to be this day. I knew it was going to be this time. Hopefully some will be watching, some will be hopeful. But according to the parable, we're all asleep. There's not one virgin that's awake and waiting. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. And you know the story, give us some of your oil. And they say, no, buy for yourselves. And the door was shut. The idea is, give us some of your Holy Spirit. Give us some of your spiritual experience and some of your faith. But friends, character is not transferable. We're not saved in groups. We're saved individually. And their experience is not sufficient to take them through. And the door is shut. Matthew 24 again, verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures the delay, the criticism, the doubt, the worldliness. Finally, there's laid up for him the crown of righteousness, it says in 2 Timothy 4, 8, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Only through loving his appearing will only those that are loving his appearing, looking and waiting and hoping for his appearing will last, I believe, through the final day. But if we just say, oh, not a big deal, we'll be lost. What does it say in Revelation 14, 12? Here is the what? Patience of the saints. Friends, we've been in a time of delay now for years. But let's get one thing straight. That only means that we're years closer, not years further away. It is almost over. And yet there are many that are about to lose heart and throw in the towel just before he comes. Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's crucial. To the Seventh-day Adventist church has been committed the most precious message of salvation I believe entrusted to mortals, the everlasting gospel. Now more than ever, we cannot lose heart. I mean, what part of the race is the most difficult? When the gun goes off and you start running and you're feeling good and the adrenaline is pumping? Anybody run a marathon and just hit the wall? And the mental games that are played and you say, I cannot do this physically. I cannot do this. I'm going to stop. I'm going to have to give up. There's no way. My body's giving out. My knees are hurting. My feet are hurting. And I still have four miles. But sadly, as we get so close, there are so many that are losing heart because of a delay. Many have lost the prophetic identity that makes us the Seventh-day Adventist church, that makes us unique. And they want to make us a generic church with a generic message. This was just um, spoken in February of this year. One of the speakers at the One Project, I haven't included his name, but you can go find it. 
It says, I don't wish you just to me use, but to do, to consider the active work of reformation. I don't have in mind reform of church governance, nor church finance reform, nor structure reform, nor evangelistic reform, educational reform, or even liturgical reform. Though all these may be needed, the reform that I would like to offer is deeper. It is more foundational. I want to propose a possibility of doctrinal reform. Now, granted, we have a structure that's set up. We don't have creeds, and we can do those kinds of things, and we have done that before in our history. But here is a movement that I believe is saying, I'm tired of the status quo. I'm tired of the delay. We need to change things. We need to be reformers. And at the same gathering, they're speaking of the the global Adventist church as communistic. They use those words. They speak of it as Hitler and Stalin and other things as if. And they're they're pushing things like women's ordination and and LGBTQ. And they need to be fully accepted and put in leadership and all of these things that the world church has said, we don't feel comfortable with that. That's not a communistic system. Yet they're saying we need doctrinal reform. And they're beating the pulpit on this message. Recently, there was a meeting uh, held at the NAD where... A young lady got up to speak about how to reach millennials. And she had a t-shirt on that said, women are the future. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a really beautiful woman right over there. And she means the world to me. But last I checked, in the classes that I took, to have a future, you need men and women. But anyway. And so she's standing up there and she's talking about how to win back the millennials. And this is kind of an age-old message, right? How are we going to win back our youth and all? How are we going to win back the millennials? And she said, we need to stop talking about the sanctuary so much. We need to talk about things that are more practical. Last I read my Bible, the sanctuary is something God gave us as a precious gift to understand salvation, to understand what he's doing in the heavenly sanctuary for us right now. Last I checked, the sanctuary was one of the the few doctrines that we separate from the rest of the world. And more practical than salvation? What could be more practical than salvation? I will move on. Here's the patience of the saints, Revelation 14, 12. I don't want this said of me. Demas has forsaken me, Paul says, having loved this present world. Sadly, Most, I believe, that are in the camp that I'm referring to are reading all kinds of outside sources and authors that if you do any bit of research are steeped in mysticism and new age ideas and they want to reform our church to make it look more like what they're reading. And I believe that they have good intentions and they want to save a drowning Adventism. But really, I think in part they're tired of waiting. They're doubting the message and they want something new. Matthew 24, 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Off the lips of Jesus. In the days of Noah, many believed his message, I think, of impending judgment. Some even helped prepare the ark. But when the years rolled by, do you remember how many years? 120 years? Is there really going to be a judgment? Is this ever really going to happen? Rain from the sky? We've never seen that before. And they started to doubt. Why? Because there was delay. And they joined the ranks of the mockers. Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. This is an interesting quote from the, the pen of inspiration. 
There are those who say, not only in their hearts, but in all their works, my Lord delays his coming. This is the passage we read that she's referring to. They showed the effect of error upon them by smiting their fellow servants and eating and drinking with the drunken. As in the days of Noah, those who have had great light will show their inconsistency. Because Christ's coming has been long foretold, they conclude that there is a mistake in regard to this doctrine. Does that sound just a little bit familiar? But the Lord says, if the vision tarry, wait for it, for it will surely come. It will not tarry past the time that the message is born to all nations, tongues, and peoples. Should we who proclaim to be students of prophecy forget that God's forbearance to the wicked is part of his vast and merciful plan by which he is seeking to compass the salvation of souls? Shall we be bound among the number who cease to cooperate with the Lord and who are found saying, my Lord delays his coming, end quote. We can sense a delay but we mustn't lose heart. I'm going to take a moment to look at Saul's folly here. If you have your Bibles, turn now to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And we're going to look at a few of these verses here in 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13, in verse 5, the Philistines are gathered together to fight with Israel. It talks about their number, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. I mean, this sounds very intimidating. In verse 6, it talks about how the people are distressed. They hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Can you sense their intimidation here? And so verse 8, then he waited seven days, a whole week, day after day, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, what was he waiting for? Samuel was going to offer the sacrifice to the Lord, right? He says, we don't have time, and and panic is starting to set in, and there's this delay. And so, verse 9, so Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. So here Saul is in panic mode himself. The people are scattering. Why? Because of the delay. And so in an attempt to... Stop all of the scattering, all the the, the doubt and the criticism and all the things going on. Saul says, bring it to me. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. In verse 10, now it happened as soon as he finished presenting the burnt offering. Isn't this ironic? As soon as he finished, that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And notice all the eyes that we're going to read here. So Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered... Verse 12, then I said to the, the Philistines will now come down on Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. I, I, I. You know, sadly, in our church, there have been times when people have said, you know, we're losing the youth. We're using, losing our young people. We're losing millennials. We're losing this category. We're losing that category. And we have a wealth of information of how to do ministry, of how to evangelize. But we go outside, we step outside of Adventism, outside of the church, and we go seek counsel from other sources, worldly sources, of how to do God's work. Notice the, the judgment here in verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord will have established you. Sorry, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. 
but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. 2 Kings 1, 3. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub and the God of Ekron? Friends, I believe people are getting restless. I believe people are giving up just before the finish line. And if Saul had waited just a little bit longer, literally minutes longer, this story would be far different. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, A man is not a hero because he's braver than anyone else, but because he's braver ten minutes longer. In contrast, here in 1 Samuel, going to chapter 26, we see David's patience. And you might recall that many years pass from the time that David is actually anointed as king and then when he's actually crowned. And so David waits and he waits and he waits and there's delay after delay after delay. And he had several opportunities to do like Saul, his predecessor, to take matters into his own hands, but he waits patiently. And actually this passage is the second real opportunity that he has. But notice how he responds here in 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 10. He says, David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die or he shall go out to battle and perish. Meaning the Lord is going to do this, but the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. David is showing very clearly, I'm not going to force this thing to happen. I'm going to wait. As Rebecca said, I'm going to wait on the Lord and let him do this thing in his way and at his time. Too often we try and get ahead of the work instead of waiting patiently for God to open the doors of the work and delay. Delay tends to leave a vacuum that either needs to be filled with something, either faith and patience, or with personal efforts to change the situation, perhaps even to create a new God. Can you think of another delay that ended that way? Moses' delay. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 32. Again, we're not going to be here too long, but if I haven't worn you out yet, go to Exodus chapter 32. We read here in verse 1, Now when the people saw that Moses, what? Delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. How much time has gone by? 120 years? Only 40 days. But they're already saying because of this delay, we don't know what's happened to Moses. He's probably not even around anymore. He went up to the mountain. He's probably dead. Aaron, you need to take control of this situation. You need to make us gods. And so Aaron said, break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And I think Aaron thought in their pride, they'd say, no, we're not ready to do that. But they said, okay. And they break them off. They give them to Aaron. He gets an engraving tool and made a golden calf. Then he said, this is your God, O Israel, that has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he built an altar before it. They offered burnt offerings in verse 6. And at the end of verse 6, it says, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is a worship service involving all kinds of other things. And we could get into some of the the wording here of, of play. We're talking even sexual play, which is getting really out there. But if you look at this story, I believe this story of the children of Israel and the golden calf is one of the most striking examples of present trends. And I think it's about to be repeated before God's people as we near the promised land, right there on the edge, it's going to be repeated. And Moses, if you will, he's a type, meaning a parallel to Jesus himself. He told the people, I will return. But after 40 days, the people gave up. They made a golden calf. They compromised. Well, the people are getting restless. 
Let's make some concessions. The youth, the millennials, they're leaving. Let's make some concessions. Let's compromise. I mean, are these standards really necessary? I mean, this is 2018. That's old school. And besides, these things are making our witness more difficult, and people hear them, they balk at them. Let's just compromise a little bit. And the threat is always the same, if you haven't noticed. If we don't, we're going to lose them. Have you heard that before? Now, I understand there's some things that we can do, but when we're talking about, no, this Reformation, we need to change doctrine. We need to change what's core. I don't think so. Anytime we try and extend that bridge out to the world, oftentimes more people cross the bridge over to the world than cross the bridge over to the church. And so their worship service resembled, in this chapter that we just read, it resembled that of a nightclub, eating and drinking and rose up to play. In fact, in verse 17, they're coming down from the mountain. God has said, you need to go deal with these people. And it says, there's a noise of war in the camp. And finally, as they get closer, they say, this isn't the sound of war, but this is the sound of singing that I hear. Could this happen to us? Has this happened to us? Where we have turned the reverent adoration to a holy God into having a party in God's house. And we have lights, and they're all flashing and strobing. We have heavy beats and music and rhythms and, and people up front performing, if you will. I have a hard time imagining the holy God, the creator of the universe, sitting on the front row in those services. What does it say in Revelation 3, verse 15? I could wish you were cold or hot, one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, I mean, even in this story in Exodus, we don't want to create a brand new God. We just want to worship him in our own way. This is still the God that brought us out of, his, uh, of Egypt, they'll say. But we just want to worship him on our terms, with our idols, in our way. I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're not either, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I mean, we don't want to be out in the world fully, but we don't want to have to do all the stuff the church asks us to do. And so we're going to just bring the world into the church. We're going to mix the two together, and then we're going to feel good about ourselves because we worship today. Because we're weary of waiting. And just like Moses coming off the mountain, the Son of Man will come at an hour that we do not expect. And just like the story of Moses, some will be executed and some will be exalted. Some that waited and then some that didn't want to wait. In the past, hundreds of years ago, sailors would set off for a long journey. And there'd always be touching scenes at the dock. Can't imagine how this would play out for the family, but it was the idea that the husband has to go off out to sea, how long are you going to be gone? Well, the intention is we're going to go here or here, but there's no email, there's no text messages, there's no updates. They're just gone. Across the horizon, they're gone. And the wives would make their pledges to their husbands before they left. You know, I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to be right here. And, and the husband would make promises too. I promise I'll be back. I promise I'll be okay. I'm going to bring you some exotic gifts from far off lands. And they would depart and they would just wait. The wives would wait and wait and wait. And sometimes, you know the stories, the plans would change. The captain would decide, okay, we're going to do this, or we're going to go over here, and sometimes that meant going even further around, and, and sometimes trips would get delayed months or even years. And sometimes the wives would say, how long must I wait? I don't even know if he's still alive. He could have been drowned for a year and a half by now. How long am I just supposed to be here without somebody? Without love, without, you know, and they'd start to, to lick their wounds and feel bad for themselves. And so they would have a certificate made out, a certificate of death for their husbands. Because now they would be entitled to remarry, to continue with family, to do whatever it might be. But undoubtedly, the moments would come 
when a ship would come back into port. Who's on the boat? And a husband would come running out, packages under his arm, all excited to see his wife and how big his kids have gotten that have waited so long for him and his promised return. And then all of a sudden, and some, of course, were accepted with arms open and and rejoicing in tears. And others, awkward, blank stares as another one is standing there and they've been replaced. And kids that they don't recognize for wives that refuse to wait. Proverb of that time, the wives that love their husband most Wait the best. Maybe if my husband isn't that great, it'd be a great time to replace him. But if I love the most, I'm going to wait the best. How will Jesus find us when he returns, church? Habakkuk 2, 2 2-4 says, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not die. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. But the just shall live by what? By faith. The delay will not set them back. Revelation 14, 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And so my challenge to you and to myself this morning is keep the faith. Keep the faith. Don't be discouraged. Don't be set off by the delay. Keep the faith. Jesus is coming. The delay is almost over. Dear Heavenly Father, I don't know what all the people here today are dealing with or struggling with. Those watching online may be discouraged, but Lord, may we be found faithful. As you delay, as there will be a tarry, we can know and trust the promise that you will surely come, that you will help us see us through if we trust you by faith. And so, Lord, help us by your grace to be faithful, because the God who's promised to come will come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.